0: hello everybody
1: welcome back to the upside swings NBA draft podcast the podcast with the highest ceiling i'm your host bryce hendricks joined as always by stone hansen and ryan davis how you guys doing
2: pretty good i've just been uh i just started watching the show lost like from 15 years ago so it's actually been pretty cool (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm doing good I, I got a day off on a weekend surprisingly so that's can't complain at all right now
1: ryan is blessed ryan is blessed well today boys we're officially selling out and instead of talking about old prospects no one cares about we're going to talk about these three one and done guys uh we're going to talk about the top of the draft for the first time today um We feel like we have some stuff to say on uh, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, and Jalen Suggs.
2: Um, I feel like this draft is a lot deeper than last year. Um, That might be somewhat controversial, but. And then I feel like the top of the draft. I mean, this is probably one of the deeper top ends of the draft, I feel like in recent memory. But in terms of like the high, high ceiling of this draft, I'm not entirely sure outside of like maybe the top two guys how how high that ceiling is for the top, like, five guys or so.
1: Yeah, I would uh, – I'd probably agree. I I think it's such a deep draft in so many different ways, um, and that's what's fascinating. A lot of times you get, like, a good guard draft or a good big draft or a good wing draft, but I think this place – you know, this draft has a couple places where it's where it's kind of deep. Um, and then I would agree that uh, the top of the draft, I think – you're starving for pure upside past maybe the first two or three guys. Um, but those first two guys uh, that we're going to dive into today are are really tantalizing. So let's just jump right into it and start with Cade Cunningham. 6'8 uh, wing from Oklahoma State uh, was the, has been the consensus number one pick all season. Uh, Davis, what do you think of Cade Cunningham?
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, obviously he's the clear-cut number one guy uh, this year. Um, on, I think every board I've seen, I don't think I've seen a board with him lower than one, but, uh, he just does it all and he's efficient and almost elite at everything. Um, he's six, eight as a point guard. So, I mean, that already helps him out just a lot. Uh, I don't, I don't really feel like I have to say is like his, his skills, like his, his strengths. Um, but the only like kind of weakness I see, which I don't even see it as a weakness is we don't know how he plays off ball. Um, I don't think he'll ever have to play off ball though, since he's the, you know, that good of a playmaker and a ball handler. Um, but he's, he's also not the, I guess not the quickest, like the burstiest guard, but, um, he really doesn't need it just cause his IQ, his size, his length his vision, all of that just makes up for it. So um, I believe he shot 40% from three, which is even crazier. Um, but, yeah, he, he's just the clear-cut number one. He's going to produce right away no matter where he goes. And who's ever lucky enough to get him in the draft it's, has, has a good one.
2: Back to kind of our philosophy podcast where we were talking about, like, athleticism versus IQ, and I was very much in the, the camp of – IQ and intangibles and Cade just kind of fits all of that for me. Uh a no-brainer number one pick. Like his he's got elite feel for the game, just a super high IQ. Uh maybe the best passer in the class. I mean, that's a little bit up in the air, but uh his six eight frame definitely helps him in that area. Like we talked about with Giddy, just being able to see over the top of pick and rolls and things like that helps him a lot. Um he's got pretty much every pass in the book. Uh And he can shoot from pretty much everywhere. I think he can create his own shot anywhere on the court. Um, Probably the best isolation player in the class. Uh, Really good finisher. Can finish with both hands. Nice toucher on the rim. Like, pretty much just everything you want offensively. Defensively, I have a little bit more questions with him. uh, But we can get into that. Yeah, I find
1: Cade Cunningham really interesting because he ended up being a number one pick but in a completely different way than I expected. Um, He's probably the best pull-up shooting wing prospect since Jason Tatum. And uh, I don't know if it's particularly close. Uh, He has absolutely elite, picture-perfect pull-up mechanics. I mean, you could teach that in school because they are perfect uh, from every level. Um, And and he kind of developed it throughout the season. You could see him learning the confidence he needed to take those shots. Um, but I'm much more comfortable with him at number one than I was in the preseason. I had a number one preseason, but I didn't quite see the you know, generational prospect tag that gets thrown on a lot of these guys like him, uh, but I kind of do now because if he's an elite pull-up shooter and an elite passing playmaker, it's hard for me to see anything less than multi-time All-NBA, absolute superstar competing for championships year in, year out. Uh, He's just that dude in every way you could want from a player like him.
2: Uh, This might be like a little bit off topic, but um, you said like generational. Do you consider like do you put that generational tag on him or do you see him kind of like a little for me personally, I see him like maybe a tier below that, like not quite like a once in a lifetime player. But that guy, like you said, that's capable of making like multiple All-NBAs and All-Stars. That's tough. I think I, I would
1: have him in the generational tier. He's probably the worst of like the recent generational tier. I mean, if you think, if you think of the past guys, you would label generational, it would be Zion Williamson. I would say Luka Doncic and then like Anthony Davis probably from like the last decade. Um, And he's probably the worst of like those four as, as a prospect but I would I would have him there because of the shooting. I wouldn't have had him there at least quite there preseason because I questioned, you know, I didn't think he was an elite enough athlete to make up for the lack of shooting and vice versa. But, you know, if he's gonna shoot like thirty eight percent on pull up threes and be one of the best playmakers in the NBA at six eight, to me that's that's enough to label him generational.
0: I do kind of see him as a generational guy i think i don't necessarily think he's there with like the Luca and and um but i think he can get there i think his his defense is a con- uh not a concern but um it's not exactly the level that you would want it to be yet but i think he can get it there just due to you know his versatility being six eight uh, i think he can guard at least you know three to four positions um but he might struggle on you know like quicker guards but uh, yeah, he's 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 the clear cut number one in this draft. He would have been last draft. Uh, probably would have to go back a few drafts to you get someone to take over him.
2: Yeah, as far as the defense, I feel like he projects probably as a better team defender than like an individual defender. I would say um, defensively, I I don't have like that big of a concern because he is such a smart player um like davis said the quicker guards is probably my main concern just like super like fast elite guards i guess you would say with like really tight handles um that's probably my like versus a kyrie like i'm not entirely sure i would be comfortable with Cade. I mean you're probably not comfortable with a lot of people guarding him but like i'm not sure how Cade fares against him in an individual like isolation sort of thing um So, But I do feel like he's capable of guarding probably at least one, two, and three. Probably the four most nights, I would say. Um, And as a switch defender, how do you guys see him projecting?
1: Um, I'm comfortable with him as a switch defender in most cases. I think people hear switch, and sometimes they think that means you have to be, like, elite in isolation against every position. There are plenty of solid switch defenders who only have to hold up, you know, 50% 50% of the time and, and, and force a tough shot on most guys. I, I feel super comfortable with him guarding almost every two in the league. uh, Pretty much every three and four, um, you know, some ones and some fives are going to give him trouble for sure. But I think, I think he has plenty of defensive versatility just because he's six, eight and he's super strong and he's super smart and he's, he's not super quick, but he's still quick enough. Like, I don't know how many, like, small forwards are really blowing by him. You know, maybe LeBron, but LeBron is maybe the greatest athlete, like, in human history. So, that and doesn't... have has to deal with
2: that for, like, a couple more years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, maybe. I don't know. He's... <laughs> That's true. He's like a cyborg. He's probably going to be, like, the next decade is going to still be LeBron ball. Yeah. Um, but, I, like, other than LeBron, I can't really think of any threes I'm super worried about you know, just absolutely torching him in an ISO, you know, like the top of the top guys are going to, are going to get their shots off, but they're not just going to blow by him and get right to the rim. I don't think so. I, I'm super comfortable with him as a defensive player. And I just think his offensive role is, it's going to be so good that it, that it hardly matters.
2: Yeah. And we, we saw like in college, he's a really good um, like vertical defender. Like, as a guard, he's he's probably going to be one of the best, like, rim protectors, I guess you could say, in the NBA, like, as a guard. He's, like, a really good shot blocker from behind especially. Um, He tracks guys. When he gets beat off the dribble, he's pretty good at staying with guys and tracking them because he's so long that he's able to kind of make up for any deficiencies when there are those. Um, So I feel pretty solid uh, with him as a defender. I'm not sure, like, if he'll ever be, like, an all defensive caliber type guy. Uh, but I think it could be at least a, a decent positive on that end.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think if we were looking at, yeah. like, if he didn't have the offense and we were looking at him purely as an offensive prospect, he's probably still a draftable player. Like, 6'8", smart playmaker, big. I mean, probably a little less athletic, but that's similar to, like, what Najee Marshall was last year just based on defense, and I and I loved Najee. Uh, I had him super draftable.
2: And now he's uh, now he's showing it.
1: Yeah. Well, he's really improved his shot too, which is shouts shouts to Najee Marshall. I love that dude. I'm really happy to see him succeed. Um, but yeah, I mean Cade Cunningham is so complete. Like I, I can't think of a single legitimate weakness with him. That's it, yeah. anything less than well, he's not elite. But saying he's not elite isn't a weakness. Like he's a good athlete. Not an elite athlete, but a good athlete. He's a good defender. Maybe not an elite defender. He might be an elite shooter. He's already an elite passer. If you just look at assist numbers and say he's not an elite passer, you need to go watch some high school tape. He is one of the best passing prospects probably since, you know, Trey Young, Luka Doncic. Uh, Maybe maybe you could argue John Morant, but I I would take Cade as a passer over John Morant just because Cade is 6'8 and John Morant isn't. Uh, But Cade is – Cade has earned his earned his spot at the number one and has earned his has earned for his name to be in up there with generational guys. Even if you see him as a little bit subgenerational, he's he's elite. And he, he to me, he's the clear number one tier of his own number one. Even as much as I love the next guy we're going to talk about, he, he's not Cade.
2: Yeah, so I don't want to jump ahead if you guys still have more to speak on with Cade but um with that number two guy uh you can let me know if I'm I'm jumping ahead too much but with that number two guy is there too big how big is the gap between Cade and Evan Mobley
0: I think I mean it's a pretty it's a pretty big gap for me uh I like Mobley um but I feel like Mobley has like a clear a clear weakness which is his frame and his his you know he he needs to gain obviously gain more muscle, uh, get some strength to actually hang in and banging down low with the bigs. But uh, I, it's a pretty good gap. I do like Mobley a lot though. But um, for me, it's a it's a it's a good margin.
1: Yeah, I I get what you're saying. I think it's it's somewhat tight for tight for me, and it's and it's hard because the way I do tiers, I'm I'm struggling to decide where I want to put Mobley. But it's fairly tight, and it's just because I think Mobley actually might have the higher peer upside, because I think he is the stereotypical, you know, modern NBA big man, but he also has the potential to completely change how we view that position. Uh, He's so mobile, and that's his number one strength to me. And it was the same with, like, Alexei Pokasevsky last year. Like, everything else is ancillary. Evan Mobley is a seven, is like 7'1 and moves super fluidly. Even with his high hips, he can get down and, and move laterally. He can run the floor. He gets up with ease. He has this insane. I think I saw 7.5 or 7-6 seven, wingspan. I mean, he'll get to any shot around the rim. I can just see the versatility on both ends as this defensive nightmare in the regular season playing you know, a dropper, a hedge scheme, and then an elite switch guy in switch situations in the playoffs. I just, I, I think, I think that it's his versatility is so valuable. It's comparing him to Kate is really interesting. and something we'll probably do. We'll do more towards the end of this pod, but I just really like Evan Mobley. And I think the gap there kind of waxes and wanes for how close it is with me. There was a time where I considered putting Evan Mobley at one because I thought just the defense is so elite and, and his potential to change the game is, is greater than Cade's.
2: Yeah. uh, For me, uh, this is the first time, and I've been following the draft maybe the past like five or six years now. This is the first time I've ever had a half tier where I made an exception for Mobley. Like I have him a half tier below Cade because they're, they're not quite on the same level because I feel like Cade's is just such a safe prospect. Like, he's such a safe number one. Like, you know, he's, he's got too many areas where he's so good that he's going to pan out as a positive on the NBA. Uh, and Mobley is, he, he probably has a little bit or probably a lot lower of a floor just because Cade's floor is so high. Um, but his upside is, is just massive whether he reaches that upside. I mean, obviously that's a lot more limited as with any prospect, Um, but yeah. In most drafts, I feel like I would take Mobley number one in most drafts. uh, Cade's just kind of the exception that's keeping me from having him there. Yeah, I would agree a hundred percent. I think it's important to note that like, like
1: the floor for Cade is, is probably an all-star, like unless there's injury so i get what you're saying 100 like no matter what kate is a surefire you know 25 usage 18 point per game six assist type guy but evan mobley can just i i really think he could change the game if he if he's really going to be this seven footer legitimately running pick and rolls as a ball handler and as a screener if the shot comes along and he can be a pop and he can be a pop guy we've seen this new breed of big as to be the best of the best you're going to use your height as a playmaker you know think nikola jokic or even to a lesser extent like a yusuf nurkic um there's the top of the league is going to continually be filled with the top of the centers in the league excuse me going to continually be filled with with guys who are offensively who can be offensive hubs and are defensively versatile uh, and I think that's exactly what we can be. I think he could – his handle is getting to a point where I'm thinking he can probably score in isos against most bigs, uh, especially with his quickness and his touch around the rim. Um, he can pass out of the high post or the low post. Uh, and I, I think long-term he could. he's going to shoot and he can maybe mm-hmm. run a pick and roll. And that's pretty – that's kind of a lot to to put in one package. And then you add the fact that he's maybe the most versatile defensive big prospect in history. I mean, if we were to think of the most versatile bigs in the NBA right now defensively, it would be Bam Adebayo, yes. right? As he's Bam's oh, number Anthony one. Davis. Davis too. Davis as well. Yeah. Um, I would argue, and and this might be an unpopular argument, Paxton. but Claxton, too. But Claxton, Claxton was a little bit different, and I don't think Claxton could really excel in a drop. Yeah, and like if we're
2: talking pre-draft,
1: too, that's a different story. Yeah, yeah. To where I think Mobley could play a drop. Like, Anthony Davis can play a drop. Bam Adebayo could play a drop, and I think that, that Mobley can play a drop as well. I don't think we saw this switchability coming from Bam Adebayo pre-draft, probably partially because it wasn't quite the thing it's become yeah. yet. Um, I don't think we saw a lot from Bam. Previously. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I would argue that Mobley is more quick laterally than, than Bam or AD were his prospects. And I think he can play a drop. I think he can play a hedge. Uh, I think there's nothing on defense you can't ask him to do. He could probably even play the four defensively and just be this like roaming Jonathan Isaac type playmaker who gets out and runs um, after a rebounder or, or or after intercepting a pass or something. I just think his, his versatility is so tantalizing. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, you mentioned, you know, Kate Cunningham having like this absurdly high floor, maybe the highest we've seen since like someone like Luca. Um, what do you think Mobley's floor is like, what's like a 15 percentile outcome assuming no injuries,
2: See, that's what I've probably struggled most with with Mobley, like determining <clears throat> where that floor is. Uh, I feel yeah. like, because so for as good of a prospect as he is, there are some flaw, like major flaws, right? Like, yeah. Uh, I'm, but I'm not sure how much weight those flaws. I'm not sure how low those flaws can drag him down because of all the other things he does so well. So that's what I'm yeah. really having trouble gauging. I mean, is his floor an all-star? Probably not. Um, is is his floor a starter? Maybe. Um, I feel like his floor is his like. I feel safe about saying his like lowest floor is at least a rotational big on a good team. Uh, I feel comfortable saying that. But yeah, yeah, I, that's that's probably what I would say. But. Uh, it could be higher.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely see him at least as a as a dominant defender just cuz his length and uh his ability to time shots. Um I also know that, notice that he doesn't really foul that much for how much he uh rim protects and and switches on smaller guards, but uh yeah, I, I don't think his his floor is really that um that high. So I
1: I, I it's so hard to determine what I think Mobley's floor is because I feel like we've never quite seen a player like him. Um, or if, or if we've had, if we have, they've hit their ceiling. I mean, Anthony Davis, this is probably like a 95 percentile outcome for what he is. I mean, I would argue the best player on a championship team. I know LeBron was there too, but I don't think they win that championship with any replacement big other than Anthony Davis. um, and I think that, you know, that's that's the closest comparison to Evan Mobley. So what is a 15%ile outcome? Maybe like a like a skinny Clint Capella, like if the shot, assuming the shot would never develop and he's just kind of this rim running big who can kind of switch, isn't elite at it, the handle never develops, but he's still a better passer than Clint. You know, he's just skinnier, so maybe the rebounding never quite gets there.
2: I probably a more versatile defender. Yeah. A more switchable defender.
1: I think he's still a valuable player almost no matter which way you slice it. Probably not an all-star in every scenario, you know. I, but I struggle to see a world where Evan Mobley isn't an all-NBA level player, you know, where he isn't at least like Miles Turner defensively. Just like yeah. – because he, he has absolutely elite rim protecting instincts he is all over anyone who tries to go in the paint he will bait them to shooting any shot and just and he won't even send it to nowhere he'll keep the ball in play which is absolutely wild to watch because even like some of the best rim protectors like Rudy Gobert will just swap that shit to the stands and the other team keeps possession but he'll like either come down with it or you see this thing where he slaps off the backboard and kind of there's like a quick calf jump and just grab the board. He's, he's really excellent at just keeping the ball in play.
2: Yeah. Oh, that you that where you said, where he like stops off the backboard and grabs it, it it plays a lot into um he's got like incredible reflexes and instincts. Like it, there is one play it was early on in the tournament. I think it might've been against Oregon. I, I can't remember exactly what game Yeah, but, um he grabbed an offensive rebound that it came off the back of the rim to like maybe around the free throw line and he got the offensive board and like the, the ball barely like touched his hands and he already passed it to a guy that was underneath the rim. Like just the insane reads and reflexes, like how fast he processes the game is pretty incredible for, for his size. Um, There's a lot of plays, I think that, that kind of show that. Um, So that, that gives me a little bit more hope in terms of his floor that I think it could be a little higher than maybe what I'm projecting it as. Uh, but yeah, And th- as far as the flaws, like, I mean, the obvious thing is the size, right? Like, I mean, you're as a five, he's probably not defending fives, right? Like he's probably defending one through four. I, I think most nights, like he's not defending Joel Embiid. I don't think.
1: I, I would agree with you like three years ago. But I think the NBA has changed in a really subtle way this year, and that's that the best rim-protecting fives aren't guarding fives. Like, like you don't see Rudy Gobert guarding Joel Embiid or or, or uh, Nikola Jokic, like, at all in the regular season anymore because his value isn't to lock down the opposing five. They would rather let that guy cook on Bojan Kukanovic all night. But if no one else can score at the rim it's still it's still going to be a rough game for the other team offensively. And I yeah. think that Mobley can can fill that just as well, where, you know, he can guard, like, I would say he can guard most fives. I think usually when we point out someone's too skinny, we're thinking of, like, Joel Embiid. Well, at most, he's only going to have to guard Joel four times a year, and that's if he's in the same division. Um, I, I'm not super worried about that, and I think he's mobile enough to stick with, like some different post-up guards he just has or post-up bigs just has to guard them in a different way um then you would see like the big bruisers guard guys like that I think he can guard most fives in a pinch but I think lots of times you'll see him stuck on sort of non-shooting wings or forwards or you know kind of running almost like a zone scheme to kind of keep him around the rim because his rim protecting just might be generational just might be like that next level of obvious defensive player of the year four years down the line um yeah. and then when you need him to you'll put him on a four and have him guard up and switch and I actually worry about him more like guarding wings than I do bigs because I think a big wing is going to give him a lot of trouble like a Kawhi Leonard I think would eat Evan Mobley alive and that's yeah. more my worry with with his friend yeah. it's not that I'm worried he's going to get posted into oblivion by by you know Joel Embiid it's more I think wings are going to be able to get their shoulder into him and really get him out of the way uh driving to the rim if he doesn't put on some
2: core strength so if you're drafting Evan Mobley though like you're I mean teams that are drafting him they're probably expecting him to be the number one probably or the number two player on their team right and so if you're doing that you're kind of I mean obviously the regular season matters right like I agree with you in the regular season, Joel Embiid, like, I'm not too worried about post-ups four times a year or whatever. Uh, But when you get into the playoffs and if he's your your first or second player, first or second best player, and on most teams, probably like your best defender, if he's like, okay, so if he's playing the five, right. And the rest of the team that just like obviously isn't capable of defending fives, and they're in the playoffs. Like, how do you see that playing out? Because like if, in the in the playoffs, it's kind of a different story, right? Like Jokic is probably going to bully his way inside a lot more um, than he does during the regular season. Um, Embiid obviously is probably going to post up a little bit more than he does in the regular season. Like, yeah, I and
0: mean,
2: the play. I think I think I value the playoffs probably more than other people. Um, In terms of evaluating a prospect, because I think if you're draft, especially drafting high, like if you're drafting a guy that high, you want him to help your team a lot in the playoffs. Right. So like from a playoff standpoint, I think there's, there's things that Mobley just, I don't want to say isn't capable of, isn't capable of at the moment, I would say, but is you have worries about him ever being capable of.
1: Yeah, I I would say I do have worries about him ever putting on weight because his hips are so high and his shoulders yeah. are so narrow. I d- I don't know if he's ever gonna. Maybe he could put on like thirty more pounds of muscle, but he's never gonna be like big. You know, he's yeah. always gonna be a really lanky five.
0: He's got he's got that frame that even when even if he gains thirty pounds, he's gonna look skinny.
2: Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Do you think like, ever? Yeah jonathan isaac level like jonathan isaac's put on a lot of weight like maybe the year last year or two and i don't think at least for me personally i didn't see jonathan isaac as a guy who could be capable of doing that yeah if evan mobley can put on 20 pounds or something how how much higher do you think his floor becomes if that's the case i would say it's not
1: super contingent on him he becomes probably a slightly better rim protector because he can take that contact from wings and And stronger guards but I get I get what you're saying about post-up bigs in the playoffs but I think the reason the post-up big has died is because it's so easy to scheme against even if you don't have an elite one-on-one post defender I mean
2: yeah and my other concern too as far as like the weight concerns and stuff is not only post-ups but rebounding right like
1: yeah that's how
2: how much is he gonna get inside to be able to rebound against guys like Embiid or Towns or or Jokic or uh, even Anthony Davis although the past couple years he hasn't been what he was he hasn't needed to but um mm-hmm. like against guys like that like is he going to be able to hold his own because if he's playing as your four or five you're, you're probably going to need like a strong rebounding wing or guard uh, around him to, to make up for that
0: yeah yeah I mean uh I think he'll hold his own. I think you know he's gonna get he's gonna block a few shots here and there, but uh, obviously Embiid, Jokic will get the best of them like power, strength wise. Uh, but I mean, I I think he'll hold his own at least. I think he'll he'll do you know a good enough job where you won't have to take him out and you know worry about um, him you know losing the game like directly. But uh, it, it is you know he, he is gonna struggle with the bigger the bigger centers like that but um i i still think he can hold his own at least
2: but where do you get so like how bad i feel like i'm being really negative about mobley and i just want to make it clear like i'm actually really high on mobley but i'm just trying to point out like the negatives that i think a lot of people try to kind of overlook because they're so high on him um Mm -hmm. so like where do you compare him as a rebounder to like Darren jackson jr he's like that's probably his weakest point at this at this point in his career he's probably
1: a slightly better rebounder than than jaron jackson uh i'm not gonna pretend like i'm like a rebounding expert i i think uh i need to talk to my boy andy roth about that uh he's really he's really smart with that stuff but uh talks to me all the time about alizé johnson um uh, <laughs> but a rebounder. yeah but um he still has really long arms and he has really good instincts for kind of finding the ball. And that's, I think Jaron Jackson's biggest weakness as a rebounder isn't even his frame. It's that he doesn't have any rebounding instincts. He kind of just doesn't know where the ball's going to go. I think people forget Jaron Jackson is still like a very raw basketball player. Like he's, we don't usually think of shooters as raw, but in terms of like how he sees the floor and how he, how he moves even defensively, how he, categorizes decisions he's still barely raw and Evan Mobley's just not that Evan Mobley is the exact opposite of a raw big because he's so he just knows like what to do he, he's he been this skinny his whole life and he's always been the best I think he, he'll find a way to get enough rebounds because um, he's also he's got like a 7.5 wingspan he can still reach over most guys or or control where the board's going to come from. I, I, I don't think it's going to be that big of a weakness, um, but you probably will have to play him with some strong rebounding wings. Um, but there are guys like that
2: all over. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, I mean, as much as I sound, I feel like I sound negative on him defensively. I'm not really like, I feel like he can be uh, at least at his peak, like a multiple defensive uh, type of guy. Um And then offensively, how do you guys project him as a shooter? Um, I mean, I feel like as a shooter, at least as a spot-up shooter, I I like him a lot moving forward. Um, I don't think he'll ever kind of be a guy that'll, you know, like especially at his size, like take someone off the dribble and shoot a three. Um, But do you – how high of a ceiling do you see his his shooting uh, moving forward?
1: I I think he'll be a solid – spot up and pick and pop shooter um I don't think he'll ever have any versatility on his shot it's a it's a pretty it's pretty it's a pretty set shot um from every level he shoots it um not like an incredible free throw shooter I don't think um I should have looked up the stats but I didn't um but it's functional I think it I think it looks fine um and for me with the big lots of times that's enough like, if it looks fine and you're somewhat confident taking it, then, then I can project it to at least be solid. Um, I'd be shocked if he's not somewhat of a shooting threat the next level. And if you, with as mobile as he is, if he could even like, be someone you have to close out on, that can be really dangerous. Could you imagine him attacking a hard closeout with how he can see the floor, the passes he can make, and his ability to get to the rim? Uh, you know, that dunk against Oregon showed it like what happened off a hard closeout. You know, he absolutely destroyed some poor man. Um, I just think that I just think that he'll make it work. Uh I buy I buy the shot enough, even though I, I don't think it'll ever be like Jaron Jackson Jr. levels, uh, because he is one of the greatest big shooters ever.
2: Yeah. Um and just, just for reference, he shot about 69% on uh, on free throws uh, on a, at about like six of the game, which was something I did want to bring up. He's, he's pretty good at attacking the rim and, and generating those free throws. Um, especially like being able to to take your guy kind of off the dribble, which I think he can do from the perimeter at his size is wild to me. Like just that alone really raises his ceiling up pretty high for me. Um, I mean, he's not going to be able to do it against everyone. Um, like you mentioned, like Bam and Anthony Davis, uh, probably a Nick Claxton even on the perimeter. It's uh, going to be tough for him to maybe get around. But um, as an isolation scorer, how do you guys see him uh, at, at the next level? I think he'll be an elite mid-post ISO scorer for sure.
1: I think his, uh, his movement ability is, is insane. I think centers are going to struggle to stick with him. But, um, but uh, like smaller fours and threes, he'll just shoot right over. And he even showed that this year, he has a really weird looking but really effective little mid post fade where he just it shoots like straight. It's like a line drive right into the basket, but it works and he'll get that off over everyone on earth. Um, yeah, he
2: does that little pivot turn.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. a really it's a really mm-hmm. solid move. Uh, I think he'll be. I think he'll, he has a chance to be the best post-up big in the NBA. I know that's kind of weird because we think of post-up bigs as kind of bigger, but you know, I extend the post to anything in like the mid post area and I think he'll be uber efficient as a scorer and as a facilitator in those areas.
2: Yeah. The passing was another thing that obviously really stands out with him for how big he is. Like he will probably never be in like a primary, like, I don't think he'll ever be like a Jokic or even like a Towns now per se, but um, I think he's a guy that he, he's just, a, he's a really good, I don't know how good he is at creating uh, for others, but he's really good at just passing, right? Like just pure passing alone. Like he's a really good passer because of how quickly he processes the game. I think um, for how big he is bigs, processing the game at the level he does is not something you see a whole lot of. Um, And he processes it so fast that, uh, that the passing is the out of position passing is, is really incredible for his height. Um, And I think he could be a guy that, you know, like at his, I mean, his highest outcome is maybe a guy that gets like five or six assists a game just because of how well he sees the floor and how quickly he sees plays developing. Um, but how, how do you guys project his passing?
1: Yeah, I would yeah. I would say that's probably his best offensive strength, um, especially in combination with his vertical spacing. Like, I think he can be a pretty elite lob threat at the next level. You didn't get to see it utilized, like, at all at USC because they play an awful, ugly offense. <laughs> but um, I think he'll be a pretty elite lob threat, and that vertical spacing will give him the ability to – really kind of get guys loaded up and get them up in the air before making dump offs and, and his ability to kind of wait till the last second to block shots. I think will also be able to uh, go the same way for his passing. I think he'll be able to get all the way to the top of his jump and still make a dump off. So I, I think I would go even higher and say at his peak, he could be, he could be even more than five or six assists per game. If he's really being utilized in the offense um, but I think that's my biggest thing with Moby is I really hope he goes to a team that's going to let him just experiment and fail and learn what works for him in the mid post through perimeter ISOs running pick and rolls or being the role man on pick and roll. Just, he needs to go to a team to me that has like no one else, like the Cavs, like just go to the Cavs. They have Darius Garland who I like, but.
0: And there's Jared Allen.
1: And Jared. Oh, that's true. And Jared Allen, but just go to a team where he can have like, like a 28 usage, and just do everything and just see what works best for him. Because I think that's he has so many paths to develop that he needs to be given those opportunities.
2: I think, yeah, I would yeah. actually really like that fit on the Cavs for him yeah. <clears throat> just having a uh, Jared Allen as another just elite, yeah. lucker. and then he, he's so great, um, Evan Robley at finding like cross cutters um from the post like he, he's so good at being on the post and then seeing guys either on the perimeter or um cutters going back door, uh towards the other side of the post where like Isaac Okoro who they just drafted is an elite cutter um being able to make those cross post passes to him and having Jared Allen right there by your side at, um defensively is what I think would be like a really incredible even if Mobley uh right away might not be like you know their number one offensively um I I feel like he would fit really well into that team
0: yeah i could see i could see him fitting next to uh allen um i w- I was going to say i don't know if uh US- USC like wasn't aggressive enough with them or if it was like moby that wasn't aggressive enough with his scoring but i do feel like he could have scored more um and he only had like 2.5 assists, but I think that was the just the USC system that um Bryce was talking about. It wasn't didn't really allow him to, you know, get get uh, more passing numbers. Yeah, yeah, I think
1: some of it with USC is uh they really loved those Drew Peterson mid-range shots. And uh I I personally did not. Um USC is I I'm always mad they're successful, one because uh I hate them. I hate <laughs> everything about USC. Their fight song is obnoxious. Um, <laughs> but also uh, because they always just run the ugliest form of whatever sport they're playing. Like, I don't even like football, but I can't stand watching USC football because I know it's just going to be miserable. And their basketball team is the same way. It's like, uh, they they just run, like, they like to run these high-low actions. It's just like North Carolina, like watching North Carolina tape is no fun because it's always just like, it's a ton of old school ball without a lot of, Interesting wrinkles, and
2: anyways, I digress. Yeah. That's that's I'm my not, USC rant. Yeah, I'm not a big college basketball fan, honestly. I just watch it for scouting. Um, but so I feel like we're all kind of agreement in at least who the number one and number two guys are in this class. I feel like most of draft Twitter and and just the draft people in, in general is in on this top two. Uh, but number three, I think, is where. Uh, at least us on the podcast might have a little bit of disagreement here um i know i know i have Jalen Suggs number three I'm not exactly sure where where davis has him uh and i know for a fact bryce does not um so, uh, what what are you, where are you guys on with uh with jalen Suggs
0: i i do have him at three um but it it is pretty close with the other Jalen. And Jalen Green. Uh, they could be switched and I wouldn't be mad. Uh, but I have Suggs a little bit higher right now. His his just athleticism and, and just his defense for a guard uh puts it puts him at that at that three spot for me. I don't think you find many um, defending guards like him. So uh, that alone just puts it over the top. I don't think he'll ever be like a, a all NBA scorer or anything like that. Um, but I feel like his, his other assets and his other skills are are good enough to, to at least bring him to that, you know, franchise point guard type.
2: Yeah, and that I think may be where us and Bryce have a little bit of a disconnect in terms of his defense, um, and I know probably his ball handling. Uh, so defend yourself, Bryce. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying that Jalen
1: Suggs is a great prospect, right? And I was higher on him than most coming into the season. He was more like the late lotto range, and I had a, a preseason because I bought the athleticism and I bought the defense uh, and the passing as well. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about his strengths first. He is one of the best passers in this draft, not playmakers, but passers. He especially in transition, he sees the floor super well. He makes good decisions. He can hit cross-court skips. He can find the role, man. He is an excellent passer. He puts excellent touch on his passes and he's bold. Um, He's willing to throw risky passes. They sometimes result in turnovers, but sometimes it it really creates advantages. Um, And he's also a very good guard defender. Uh, My value for that is, is wish is wishy washy. I'm not the biggest, uh, not the biggest guy to say, oh, guard defense matters so much, but he is a very good guard defender. Um, I think he can play passing lanes and, you know, probably guard ones and twos, maybe threes in a pinch. I I don't buy the versatility a ton, but he is a very good guard defender. Um, the shooting is solid too. I, I I think it'll work out at least as a uh, catch and shoot guy. I don't know if he's ever going to be a pull up shooter or a step back shooter or anything like that, but. Uh, I think he has a role as an, like an off ball point guard.
2: The reason I have like him you're, uh, talking yourself into having him for three. No, because
1: <laughs> and, and, and I'll say I have him six right now uh, in a tier below uh, the top two guys. We talked about who I have in a tier, the top tier. And then below them, I have Suggs, Kaminga, and Kai Jones. And then in the next tier, I have Jalen Suggs. Um, and the reason I'm lower is because I don't, Think he's an elite playmaker. He's a good passer, but not a good playmaker because he can't really dribble. And I don't buy the pull-up jumper like at all. Um, he has, I think, he has really small hands from what I've heard. And he doesn't have a great wingspan, so he struggles with ball control. He can really struggle whenever pressured, and he doesn't put a lot of deceptiveness into moves. He relies a lot on bursts to get by guys. And if someone can keep up with him, he doesn't have a lot of counters to make a move and jump and get out of the way. Um, I think he's going to be an off-ball point guard, maybe even shooting guard at the next level. And while that can be useful, I don't think that's something that's worth taking top three. Uh, I don't think he'll ever be a top end scorer for himself or a top end creator for others, despite his passing. Um I just I, I think there's a lot more questions there questions there than are actually being asked. And I think that I like Suggs a lot, but I don't see him as this surefire like top five guy. And I'd rather take guys whose upside I believe in more above him.
2: Yeah, I mean I can get behind your reasoning for it. Um obviously we disagree on the outcome. Uh I think I think I agree with you. I would say that he's not like a great ball handler. Um yeah. I'm probably a little bit higher on the development of that uh, moving forward, Um, but I'm not entirely sure he needs to, he needs to be one because of how athletic he is. Like, right. Like if he's at the top of the key against the point of attack guy and he could just blow by like a good portion of the league, how like, how much does that ball handling really need to be there? If he's able to yeah. to blow by past guys, and then um, you know, if he's past his initial, initial defender and he has to bring in a secondary defender, he's such a good passer that he can he can pass out of that and hit the open man. Um, so I'm just not entirely sure, like, at what level his ball handling needs to be in order for him to be like a really successful primary.
1: So, so this is going to end up becoming me versus you. It's going to be like a debate, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I think his burst maybe isn't... Like, I think I value his burst maybe a little less. I don't think it's 100% there. Um, I think he he gets by slower guys pretty easy. But I almost never saw him win in, like, a pure ISO through just burst. He almost always needs a screen to work. And even with that burst... He sometimes doesn't get to the paint he'll still end up kind of in floater range and a little bit of no man's land he started to develop a a floater which is really nice and really helps him out but to me the name of a game of the game with any point guard you're going to draft this high is advantage creation and I just don't buy that he's going to create advantages at a high enough level It, it was the same issue I had and still have with Tyrese Halliburton it's that he can be a, a very good off ball player with with some defensive uh, viability and a smart passer, maybe a good shooter. Um, he's way more athletic than Halliburton, and that's why I like it better. Um, but in the end, if you're a point guard and you can't create advantages, your value is severely lessened. Or yeah, your value is severely less than a point guard who can create advantages. Um, no matter how good Halberton gets at all these ancillary skills, if he can't really make the defense react to his ball handling and put pressure on the rim, or worry about his step back or pull up shot, then he can only ever be an average starting, probably shooting guard. And even Halberton's, you know, an inch, maybe even two inches bigger than Jalen Suggs, let uh, worse athlete, uh, worse overall projection in my opinion, but. I think Jalen Suggs, I think sometimes we can miss, you know, Mike Ripp pulled me this when I was, uh, when I brought this up on Twitter, he said, you're kind of missing the forest for the trees, but I think sometimes we can miss the trees for the forest. You know, he gets, he gets all these, he gets all these kind of buzzwords that are thrown around these intangibles, killer instinct, winner's mentality, stuff like that is thrown around surrounding Suggs all the time. And I, and I understand why, and, and I think that his desire to win and his intensity will keep him in the league for a long time. But I think in the end, his ceiling will be severely dampened by the fact that he just can't create advantages at a high enough level, and I think it'll keep him from ever being able to run an efficient offense. He can probably be a part of an efficient offense with better on-ball players, but I don't think he can ever run any sort of efficient offense or
2: score for himself efficiently. Yeah, so I think um, the, the the big difference here, I think at least on how we're viewing this, is uh, I don't think I ever viewed Halliburton as a point guard. Um, I think Halliburton is like a lot like Lonzo in the sense that I feel like his best role is as like a like a really elite connector piece, where you're not really relying on him to create create offense by himself with others, um, but they're next to guys that can score and create their own isolation offense, and they can score outside of that. And if they can't, they can they can get that second pass or they can, um, they have such good vision where they're able to um, find moving pieces from a stationary standpoint, where I think Suggs is obviously like a way better athlete than either of those guys. Um, and I think Suggs is, uh, I mean, obviously the burst, we, we already mentioned um, the difference on that. But I think uh, that you mentioned the screen settings as well. Like I think he's really good at using screens. Um, like we saw with, uh, with Drew Timmy at, at certain points where he, he brings up the screen and he's got such good burst where he gets around that screen Um, and then two defenders come up on him and he's so good at passing out of that double defense uh, or splitting the screens down the middle, um, to where even if he can't, even if he isn't able to, uh, get around guys on his own due to his ball handling, um, he's able to get around people, uh, with those screens because of his passing. Um, I think he's, he's able to use those screens, um, at such a high level to where his passing, um, Kind of negates uh, whatever deficiencies his ball handling aren't able to provide. So I would say, yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead, Davis. Go ahead.
0: No, I, I, I agree. I, I, see where you're coming from as well. I definitely agree more on the, on the stone side. But uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from. He, he can get better at creating for his teammates. Um, he's a good passer, but I see what you're coming from. Like as a playmaker himself.
2: Yeah, I get the the rationale behind it. I just don't necessarily agree that there aren't other factors that um, that he's able to negate those deficiencies with.
1: So here's what I'll say. So the first thing is I agree with you that is not a point guard. Um, and I think the same might be true about Jalen Suggs. So he'll probably play the point guard, like because he's not as big as Halbert. Halburn can't play the two because Halburn's six five. Um but, I, you know, Suggs is probably going to play the one, but I think he's going to be best as an off-ball player. And that's fine. And I, and I think that's a completely worthwhile player. I just don't think it's worth taking top three in a draft like this where I think everyone in the top five, at least on my board, has real, real star upside. Um, maybe even superstar upside for some of them. Um, and I just think that Suggs can – Create advantages at times, like you said, with the screen, with being able to split the screen, being able to leverage his passing. But I think the NBA is really all about like outlier skill. It's all about you have to be. And I, I just don't know if Suggs has an outlier creation skill. He kind of wins at the margins a lot. And it's hard for guys like that to, to really make it in the NBA as point guards. As secondary guys, I I think he's the best like like secondary grease the wheels of an offense, play good defense piece in this draft. And that's why I still have him six. I just I, I see very little primary equity with him. And I think if you can't be a primary, it's hard for me to it's hard for me to take you over someone who I think can be a primary. And I really think all the guys I mentioned above can be at least best players on very good teams. Even if they're not driving the whole offense, um, and I just don't think Suggs can. Uh, I I think he has a lot of skills that I really like, and I'm still high on him compared to like every other prospect in the draft. It's just I think consensus has sort of passed me by, um, but I get it. I do get where people are coming from because he plays with such a joy. Like there were moments I I did have him in three, you know, after the first couple games at Kansas and and uh, auburn i had him i think i had him all the way at two because i didn't believe in evan mobley that much preseason um but it's just i i think i'm comfortable where i have him because i think even if he proves me wrong i'm not gonna really regret passing on a player like Jalen Suggs because i think he'll help a team win but he's not i see very little like 20 plus point per game 10 plus assist equity with him and that's like a super high bar and I and I understand that but like I think someone like a Jonathan Kaminga or a Jalen Green or even a Kai Jones who I think is really underrated in this discussion could be guys who really make me regret taking them like if those guys hit their ceilings they are very elite players at one aspect or another and I think that Suggs doesn't make me regret passing on him the way a Jonathan Kamingo would, if that makes yeah, sense.
2: Yeah, I, I get this. Might We might have to do a secondary, a second uh, philosophy plot after this. Um, we very
1: well might. We probably
2: will. Because I, I, I feel like if you're drafting just purely based off of, like, what potential in, in, in thinking, like, this guy is going to make me look bad if I take another person above him who, who may not have a higher ceiling. I think that's a very dangerous game to play with the draft. Um, I think there's, there, there's just because their, their ceilings might not be as high, um, as guys that'll go probably after them. Uh, I feel like floors do matter quite a bit, at least for me personally. Um, and I'm, I'm probably someone who values ceilings more than a lot of other people, uh, because as you mentioned, like you're really high on Kai Jones. I have Kai Jones number five on my board. So I, I'm already a guy who who values ceilings fairly high uh, relative to most people. But um, I feel like if using that rationale as like um, as part of an argument is a very dangerous game to play, uh, especially as you move farther along within the draft.
1: I get what you're saying, but I think at the top of the draft, I'm I'm fine doing it. I think floors do matter, um, but I also think that part of having a floor is having a lot of avenues to success, and I think that someone like Jalen Suggs does it to me. I think well, he does one I thing really
2: well. Big disagreement, I think, between us, is I feel like he has a fair amount of avenues to success. Um, so I feel like that's probably like the biggest, that's probably what it is. I, disconnect, I, I think I, cause yeah. I, I see, I see one type of,
1: I think he's a supporting point guard who plays next to a, an elite wing or, or even big, like, like, and, and I just don't think there's a lot of teams that have that at the top of the draft yet. You know, I think his perfect fit would actually be like in Charlotte and Charlotte's not going to get a high enough pick. They're going to be in the playoffs like, next to LaMelo Ball, I think he's a perfect – he's the perfect type of point guard. Um, like, because he plays defense, I think he's going to shoot. He makes smart decisions, and he can pass. I just don't think he's ever going to be the, st- the straw that stirs the drink. And I don't – I don't know if he's worth taking above players I think can. like Like, Kai Jones – and this isn't a Kai Jones episode, but Kai Jones to me has – the most pass to success of anyone in this draft, aside from Evan Mobley. Like, I think he can be the super, super high ceiling type thing, but like he can be like a Giannis type player where he's this crazy physical specimen of an athlete, crazy transition player, best player in the league or, or up there, or he can be this sort of rolling versatile big with some pop game. Or he can be, you know, like a Jaron Jackson Jr. type. Like he has so many paths, and I just, I only see one with Jalen. I only see him playing as this secondary creator, shooter, smart player. Like he's gonna make it in the NBA. Like no matter what, I think Jalen Suggs is an NBA player. I
2: just, yeah.
1: I, I just don't think he. And, and no matter what, he's gonna contribute to winning teams. Like he's very good, and I'm not trying to take that away from him at all. And I hope this doesn't come across as me, like hating on him because I I don't. I think he's an awesome prospect from everything I've heard. He's an awesome man. Um, I just think that I I don't value what he does as much as some other people do. I think that's that, and and the path to success are probably the biggest disconnects between us. And and I guess we'll just see. You know, five ten years we'll just see. We'll have to come back and look at it
2: I guess <laughs> do a redraft. I'm really excited to get it because as high as I am yeah. on Kai Jones I think you're even higher which is crazy because yeah. I, I feel like I'm really high on him but I, I do not yeah. see that many avenues that you're describing for Kai Jones as paths to success and I'm sure that's, that's something we'll get on within the future uh, because Kai Jones is really a fascinating prospect um, but uh, as far as yeah I think Here's a question, just um, kind of out of the blue, but uh, h- how low on Cole Anthony were you last year? Because I feel like if you're low on Jalen Suggs, you're probably fairly low on Cole Anthony. From yeah, he, the way you're he, describing he, it. Was,
0: he had to be low. <laughs> yes.
2: I was – I think I had Cole
1: Anthony – Thirty-seven on my board. Oh my goodness! Oh my like god! god. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was low on him out of high school though because I didn't think I I didn't think he was he I, I didn't think he was a playmaker
2: at all. I actually. Yeah. So I, I'm not. I, I don't want to compare. I think Suggs. he
0: was number one on my board.
2: <laughs> I I don't want to compare Suggs and and Cole Anthony uh, as prospects. I'm just saying, like the arguments you're making for Suggs, I could see how you would make those same arguments for Cole Anthony. So I figured that that's probably a, a specific sort of um, thing for for point guards, you would say.
1: Yeah, I think, I'll no, I think this. that's a very good point in, 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 in what I value. Um, I think I talked about this in the philosophy pod, but something I always look at when I'm evaluating point guards, I'm going to take very high is I, I have this offensive heuristic and I want them to hit two. I want them to be elite passers and feel guys elite athletes or like elite scorers. And Cole Anthony only hit one of those for me. I thought he was an elite pull-up shooter, but I didn't buy the passing uh, or the athleticism. I still, I still really don't like, I think he, even at 37, I'm like, he might be like a solid backup point guard, but he doesn't bring what I
2: value to the, to the table. Okay, um, here's one more question. Okay. Uh, just because I like hitting with you with hypothetical. No, I'm 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 enjoying it. <laughs> um, where yeah. How do you how do you rank Cole Anthony in comparison to Emmanuel quickly? Like who do you value more? Now or as prospects? Now.
1: Oh, IQ easily. And I, I, I don't even hesitate to say that. No, I yeah. think IQ is awesome. And I and we have
2: a big big philosophy, philosophy disconnect, I
1: think. That's fun yeah. though. So many, so many, so much of the draft discourse anymore is such an echo chamber. It's like politics. The draft yeah, and politics I, are like intertwined because it's just like you can get yourself in such an echo chamber and everyone's going to have the same opinions. I love that we're having some differences. It's fun.
0: Yeah. yeah I, I, I was pretty low on, on quickly. I, I, st- he's proven me wrong a little bit, but I'm, I still don't think like he, he's going to be, you know, like, and I, he's going to be a good scorer, but I don't. I don't or a good shooter, but I don't see much more.
2: I'm on the same exact boat where I think I, w- I was way too low on quickly. I'll, I'll start by saying that. Like, and obviously, this isn't. An, I don't want to turn this into an Emmanuel quickly pod, but mm-hmm. um, but quickly, uh, I would say that um, I, I don't see quickly as probably the same level you do. Where I see him more as like a a bench piece, a solid bench piece, where I think Cole Anthony can be like. Uh, a solid number like three on a good team um, and I think that's that just kind of um, is an example I think uh, a really good example of how we value guards in certain archetypes within that and, and you know what's fun about it is that
1: we're probably both going to be wrong sometimes or we're both going to be right
2: right like it's Absolutely. not like it's not like either
1: one is oh, like yeah. perfect you know like this is exactly because I was probably too, I think I had a quickly 30. I had him higher than Cole Anthony, but not much. I had him in the same tier. Um, I had, I had a tier, it's called one skill guys. And this is like, guys, I think can make it based on one skill. And for both of them, it was shooting. Um, And quickly definitely impressed me. Uh, But yeah, I, I just think that that's kind of what's fun about the draft is, is it's all about what you value personally. Like if you were to build a team, what would you take? And sometimes you're going to be wrong and sometimes you're going to be right. Um, so I, I, think, I, I like that we're having some differences here for sure.
2: I, yeah, I do agree with that. I think there are certain instances where like, like for example with Cade, where it's like, I, I think you're, I do think you're wrong. Like if you don't have Cade number one and that's not to say that like, you're not good at draft analysis or evaluation or anything. But I think like there's certain standards that, that everybody should value at the same level. Like, there, there's certain there's certain things that I don't think are very arguable. Um, but obviously, again, that's sort of an opinion. Where like, uh, obviously, people are going to disagree with that. But, um, but I do agree where it's it's good to have these discussions that uh, differ um, in, in terms of archetypes and, and philosophy.
1: Yeah, I uh, I would agree. I think that this is what's fun. This is why we started the podcast in the first place was to disagree. It wasn't, it wasn't (laughs) to just sit around and pat each other on the back for being right. Um,
2: This is the first one I feel like we, we have had, uh, I don't want to say an argument, but a a debate, a healthy. No, yeah, it, it worked out. Yeah. When
1: you guys are, you guys are so smart. I like to have my opinions challenged by smart people, right? Like. I agree. I think it makes people better as, as draft evaluators. hundred percent. And, and, it's made me change my mind in the past. Um, maybe I'll end up changing my mind on calling Anthony. Probably not, but
2: maybe. <laughs> I changed my mind on, on Deere and Sharp, uh, because uh, of, uh, I'm, I'm probably misremembering, but I think Trevor William on, on Twitter sent, uh, sent me good, good points on, uh, in my DMs on how to evaluate him. And I think, um, things like that have, have really changed my perspective on, on certain archetypes and how I value them. Um, so, so it can be beneficial. I think uh, people a lot of times get caught up in just trying to win one side of an argument mm-hmm. um, where helping people realize different things um, is really the basis of a beneficial argument.
1: Yeah, well, the draft is all about, like I mentioned, it's all about like finding your guys and falling in love, but it's also about learning. Right. I mean, think 30 years ago, the draft looked way different than it does now. Basketball is not baseball. Baseball is kind of the set in its way sport that's been the same for a century. Basketball has changed every five years into like almost a completely different type of sport. So, you know, if you're not willing to adjust your views on the draft and and have discussions, I I think you're kind of in the wrong, you're in the wrong spot,
2: I think.
0: Yeah, Yeah, definitely.
2: I think I've been doing this, like, like I said, like five or six years now, and every single draft I've come away with something different. I've learned something new from each draft, um, and I think that's, that's a good thing.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think someday we'll dive into uh, some lessons we've learned. Um, but for now, I think it's time we dive into the tail of the tape. Uh, Davis, do you want to tell us about Hyung Jung Lee from Davidson?
0: Uh, so, yeah, I did do Hung Jung Lee from uh, Davidson, um, he's a, he's a sophomore. I believe he will return. I, I don't even think, I don't know if his name's in the drafter, but, uh, he, he averaged like 14, four and two, I think. And he shot 50, 40, 90 from the field. So he's obviously efficient. Um, he's six, seven. So he has some good size, a uh, good, and he comes off screen and, uh, hits the shot, hits outside shots pretty well coming off the screen. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be, you know, anything crazy but he is he is a dude to watch in the future he's unselfish he has pretty good vision he's always looking for cutters as well uh in my opinion he probably was the best player on davidson uh best like all-around player they did have Callen grady um but um yeah he, he was fun to watch for me so i'm 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 interested in seeing what he does forward
2: yeah uh I didn't watch much of Davidson this year, so I, I don't really have, um, much like last week, I don't really have uh, too much insight um, uh, on Hangang Lee.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I like what I saw from him. I, I'm kind of like Davis. I didn't watch a ton, but I've seen enough uh, that, that I, I, I think he has a role in the NBA. Um, I'm also always for, you know, more diversity, more international diversity. Uh, it's so good because the game is growing. Um, I, I think he had, you know, he's a really good shooter, has a really good looking shot. Um, still needs to probably develop as a, as a decision maker a little bit, but I think, you know, in a year or two, he's someone who, who will belong on boards and could potentially be draftable. Um, definitely interesting wing. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
2: Stone, do you want to talk about Colby Ross? Yeah. So for me, I went with Colby Ross at a Pepperdine, um, And I think for most people that are listening to this podcast, you're probably familiar with him just because his name's kind of been in the draft realm for, for like three years now, it feels like 10 years. Um, But he's, uh, I feel like, I don't want to go back to this, but I feel like he is someone that fits into what Bryce was arguing, um, where I feel like a lot of the arguments Bryce is making um, that were against Jalen Suggs. I feel like, can be made for Colby Ross, um, and I would agree with them. Uh, but I am a Colby Ross. <laughs> it's weird starting off with that, but, I, but I'm but i here to promote Colby Ross propaganda. Um, at, he's So he's a, a, obviously a smaller guard, uh, but he's a really great scorer. Right, um, If you're drafting Colby Ross, I think that's probably what you're drafting him for, is just that scoring punch off a bench. Um, I personally would not draft Colby Ross. He's a senior this year. Um, he, I think he pretty much is what he is at this point. Um, but what that is, is a, a solid score off the bench. A guy who I think can r- be a secondary initiator on most bench units. Um, and and obviously this is like his highest end outcome. Um, and can be a solid enough to average shooter. Um to where I think offensively he does help you uh, t- during certain runs. Um, he, he's a guy I would feel comfortable taking, um, putting a two-way contract on, uh, just taking that chance on him. Maybe he pans out, maybe he doesn't. Um, I mean, most likely he probably ends up uh, across seas um, as a really good scorer somewhere. Um, but he's someone I would feel comfortable taking with, uh, taking a two-way contract on because of um, the offense that he can, Provide
1: to a team. Yeah, I liked Colby Ross a bit um, coming into the year. I, I was a little disappointed by how his season went. Um, solid passer too. You know, you mentioned the scoring, and that's his number one skill. But he makes good decisions with the ball, and uh, he's—I believe—he's the all-time leader in assists at Pepperdine. Um,
0: I think. Probably- I think scar, scar too. I think.
1: Maybe. I mean, he's he's he's, he's been there for the most- twelve
2: years. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um but yeah I mean he reminds me a little bit of uh Chris Choza from he was at Florida place I think he's still on a two way with the Nets yeah yeah, still um but yeah just kind of I could see him as kind of an end of the bench like scoring punch really really has a good handle really tight um very rarely turns that over uh, solid shooter can be a little bit um wild with his shot selection for sure um but yeah, yeah, I like I like Kobe Ross a little bit. I would agree. Maybe a, maybe a two way for a team that could use some guard depth.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty right there with you guys. Uh, I think I, I saw something where um, he averaged 19, 19 and seven for three straight years. So that's pretty crazy. I know Pepperdine doesn't play the best competition, but um, I definitely feel like he, he's worth giving a
2: yeah for sure
0: two way shot. He's he's a little streaky shooter, kind of like Bryce said, kind of like Bryce said, he's streaky, but, uh, he, he, he's, he's, yeah, he, he's a good, he's a good, uh, scorer for sure. And a good, a good, uh, passer.
2: Yeah. He's, he's streaky and he's, um, doesn't have the best shot selection, uh, which if you're scoring, that's like, if, if you're not great at those two things in your, your primary skill is scoring, like that's what probably limits his upside. Um, but it's worth, I, mean, I think, taking, taking a two-way. Uh, and,
0: I mean, he, he he did play for Pepperdine, so he could probably just chuck up whatever he wanted, you know? Like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> he, can, he, he wasn't going to get taken out or anything.
2: Very true.
1: Yeah. Uh, you want
2: to move on to yours, Bryce? Yeah, so I
1: decided to do uh, – I believe it said Azulas Tubelas um, from Arizona. He was a guy I thought would be a one-and-done. Uh, to be completely honest, um, I thought his combination of size, shooting and playmaking uh, would do well for him at Arizona, reminding me a bit of Lowry Um Now, you know, not the shooter, not as tall as Markkinen, Um but I still think probably has some long term, long term NBA potential, um, probably more as a five. Uh, he has really solid defensive instincts, even though he's not a like he's not a good defender because he's not a good athlete. Uh, really good touch around the rim I, I believe in the shot it was kind of slow to develop this year but I think long term he can he can be a solid shooter uh, you know probably never a guy I'll really value but I think this was more a way for me to point out that uh, Arizona is going to be really good next year and Tabellus is going to be a part of that And I know Davis is very excited
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure um yeah, I think I, I like 2 moving forward um, as a draftable guy. I'm not sure exactly, like, if he's ever a first-round sort of prospect. Um, but he, he showed, like, his mobility for his size is really intriguing to me. Um, and that's something I think, again, like, if we get into another pro- uh, philosophy podcast, that's something I'll, uh, I'll definitely try to bring up is I, I think I value those, those mobile kind of bigs um, a lot. So he brings that, um, shows the shooting touch. Uh, the flashes of that so um, yeah I think he's a draftable guy moving forward I would agree um,
0: yeah I'm, I definitely gonna don't want to be too biased but I agree <laughs> with you guys uh, he I, I like I like him he was really fun to watch this year I mean we didn't have we had like a weird season but um after after we kind of gave that ban guys kind of started not giving not giving a yeah but uh he he he's a he has good vision and he can actually ball handle pretty well for his size um he's got the size to like bang in the post but he's kind of more like a wing he kind of he he's more like that he likes to stretch the floor a little more uh but he's got he's got a really good corner shot um he should be should be should be better this year i look forward to seeing what the new coach does with him
1: yeah, uh, just just to end it, uh, Davis. Uh, how good is Arizona gonna be next year?
0: Or uh, I'm hoping I have I have high hopes. I mean, we're gonna we have a new coach. Um, I definitely think we should be in the top twenty five to start out the season. Um, but I 100 percent think we're at least gonna be a top four seed and or top five seed in, in the tournament.
1: I would probably agree. I think there I think there's a chance you guys could be a better. Regular season team than UCLA, depending on what Jizang decides to do and and how long it takes him to integrate Watson into the into the role. I just think Arizona, I, to me, they're clearly the second best team in the Pac-12. Next
2: yeah, year.
0: I mean, I mean, especially if we can if we get tie tie, I think we'll, we'll we'll for sure be at least the second best team in the Pac-12. Yeah,
2: Tai Tai is a huge,
1: huge.
0: Yeah, for you guys. But I mean, it, it. you could argue, you know, the best team. But UCLA is obviously gonna be gonna be up there.
2: Yeah. yeah. All right, you guys. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? Mm, no. Just
1: was, uh, right? everyone. Everyone should love Kai Jones. Uh, that's that's how I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
0: Oh man, I saw one the other day. They had him like twenty something. I'm telling you. Oh,
2: oh my soul. <laughs> I think I think we've become. Like Kai Jones propaganda podcast. we like, oh, absolutely we're we're bullishly high on Kai Jones.
0: I'm the lowest one out of the three, and he's like ninth or eighth. On me, yeah.
2: <laughs> as long as you're top ten, we could be friends. <laughs> All right. um Yeah. So that's it for us. uh You guys want to plug your stuff?
0: I'd go on Twitter and Instagram at Sports by Davis. You can follow me, but make sure you follow the Upside Swings podcast on Twitter as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, You can follow me at report underscore court. um, And I do work for lines.com. Just updating their mock drafts. Uh, 2022 one should be up pretty soon. Um, If you guys have any questions or feedback on the podcast, um, be sure to email us at upside swings at gmail.com. And if you like what you hear, give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you listen to. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm
1: Bryce Hendrick 14 on Twitter. And all my work's on Roll Call Sports. Uh, We hope this podcast...